Welcome to a conversation of change with Dr. Jen Fram, where we talk all things leadership, change, and transformation. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. So you returned after the first chapter of my book. Well, good for you. Um, If this is your first time back on the podcast or first time visiting the podcast and you're a little bit confused about what I'm talking about, is yesterday I launched the first of a six-part serial on this podcast where I'm sharing each day the first of Uh, the first six chapters of my book, Conversations of Change, A Guide for Implementing Workplace Change. So if you're brand new to the podcast and haven't heard yesterday's episode, you might want to stop what you're doing and go back and listen to that one right now, just so that this is in order and it makes some sense for you. But otherwise, you're about to hear part one, shaping up the decisions you need to make, chapter two, through the looking glass. The title to Lewis Carroll's much-praised sequel to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There, often reminds me of what it's like to search change management or organisational change management in Google. What a fantastical world with language as hard to understand as the Jabberwocky's poem and characters that start to represent or um, resemble Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Certainly, it can be argued that workplace change resembles a great board of chess. Even within the industry, confusion and argument abounds. Many within the change management profession struggle with how to describe what they do. And if you poke into the varying change management groups on LinkedIn, periodically they're varying debates on what to rename change management. And goodness gracious me, if you thought change management was jargon, you should see the alternatives being suggested. Change enablement, transition and transformation management, organisational behavioural change facilitation. Now this chapter seeks to highlight four core points of confusion and offer some clarity to help you with your progress on your adventure. So point of confusion number one is the difference between organisational change management and change management. Now, I see organizational change management as addressing the broader organization and its change in strategy, structure, or culture. Change management has a narrower focus. It's the facilitation of people through a discrete change. It raises the distinction between project change and organizational change. Most change projects have got a methodology, either project or change, but not all organizational changes have got a dedicated methodology. Not all change managers work on organisational change, but most organisational change managers will use change management. So frustratingly, there really are no absolutes with this stuff. Now, why does this matter to you? Depending on the scale of change you've got in front of you, so whether it's a discrete project or a larger organisational change, the value in the models, frameworks and resources differ. Some of the common change management frameworks are more suited to discrete change projects. Others are suited to large organisational changes. And someone who has only ever been a change manager on discrete change projects, like new system implementation, may not be suited to helping you with changing the culture of your organisation. 
Now, there are two official change management industry bodies at the moment vying for world domination. The Association of Change Management Professionals, ACMP, and the Change Management Institute, CMI. While these may not be of direct value to you, it is useful to know about them as they were responsible for actively developing the change management profession. Both can still be considered in early development, if you look at the ratio of people who define themselves as change practitioners versus members. Now, CMI was founded in Australia and has grown to have chapters across New Zealand, Asia, Asia, Ireland, Canada, the UK, and some membership in the USA. Now, some of the important artefacts of the Change Management Institute are the Change Maturity Model and the Change Competency Models, and they've got a change management body of knowledge and an accreditation process. ACMP is founded in the US and has chapters in Europe, Middle East and North Africa, Canada and Latin America. Now, similar to CMI, it's attempted to standardise the industry with the use of the standard and accreditation. And we'll talk more about accreditations and industry standards in Chapter 14. I don't think in and of themselves they're a bad thing. If they were more agreed upon and established, you possibly would not be feeling as confused and lost and looking for books like this. Um, accreditation, however, does not guarantee a good practitioner. And that's, that's the tricky bit about it. So we are far from standardized and uniform as a profession. Renowned blogger and industry expert Gail Severini notes that the two bodies view change management a little differently. So the Association of Change Management Professionals defines change management to be the application of knowledge, skills, abilities, methodologies, processes, tools and techniques to transition an individual or group from a current state to a desired future state, such that the desired outcomes and or business objectives are achieved. Change management processes, when properly applied, ensure individuals within an organization efficiently and effectively transition through change such that the organization goals are realized. Change management is an integral part of the overall change process and ideally begins at the onset of change. So ACMP's definition assumes that the organization has agreed upon the need for change and has identified the nature of the change. The Change Management Institute hasn't taken up the challenge of definition, but does offer some clues in their definition of a change management practitioner in their competency model. So a change management practitioner has mastery of the change principles, processes, behaviours and skills necessary to effectively identify, manage, initiate and influence change and manage and support others through it. So CMI's definition of the change management practitioner leaves some room for the idea of emergent change. Not all organisations have agreed upon the need for change and have identified the nature of that change. And as we'll discuss in later chapters, that can be a strategic decision, a deliberate decision to co-define and co-create the change with the members of the organisation so that there's more commitment to the change. Further, Severini notes, change management focuses narrowly on the facilitation of people from the current state to the desired state. And it deals with expediting three things, understanding, commitment and alignment, which helps people change the way they think about their roles, leave behind current mindsets and competencies and dives into new thinking and builds new capability. From this, you can infer that change management has more of a focus on the people during change. 
Organisational change management, however, will include the people as well as the structural and strategic elements. Now, often you'll see change management referred to in technology context, and this is often a more technical discipline referred to the management of upgrades and releases. So we're not talking about that at all in this book. Additionally, it is popular to eschew planned and episodic change for emergent change at the moment. Now, my experience with emergent change is it tends to describe the process of initiating change more so than the experience of implementing change. And emergent change models tend to talk to opportunistic innovation and creative continuous improvement. However, just because the goal of the change is emergent, it doesn't mean that you'll not benefit from a dedicated focus on how you implement the changes coming through. Having said all of this, there is so much lack of clarity on the difference between the two terms, organizational change and change management, it would pay you to ask the question upfront of anyone that you're talking to about change management or organizational change management. Where there's opportunity in the book, I will call out if there's a distinction in the use of the two. So our second point of confusion is role clarity. And this is often who does it. So change agents, change champions, change managers, and change leaders. Chapter three talks about the roles of change. So I'm going to leave the definitions of change sponsors, change agents, change managers, change champions, change communicators, and change analysts there. What you do need to know at this point, though, is that there is a difference between the roles and the terms are often used in a less than precise fashion. Now, at the risk of minimizing the importance of that, anyone can implement change or even manage change. It doesn't matter what your name is. Because let's face it, we all do it on a regular basis. We change houses, we change physical states, we move neighborhoods, we deal with changing fortunes and finances. But in choosing your own change adventure, you need to make sure that the appropriate people are accountable for change. If you do stick with anyone can do it, there's a fair chance nobody will do it. So role clarity provides accountability and without accountability, change can take a glacial speed. Point of confusion three is methodologies and frameworks. So part of the world of change is the language of frameworks and methodologies. There's an old well-worn joke, methodologies give people with no ideas something to do. And it's kind of true, but kind of not. Having a framework to guide you or a methodology to follow can save you a lot of time if it's fit for purpose. And this is where it gets challenging, determining whether it's fit for purpose. At the most blunt and crass level, a change methodology outlines how to come up with a change idea, so design or architect, how to build your change solution and supporting collateral, build or prototyping, how to prepare the people who will be affected for the change, readiness, how to execute the change, deployment, and then how to support post-change, hypercare, how to measure and adjust as needed, and how to make the change sustainable. Now, this list of imperatives is required whether it's an organisational change or a discrete project change. All the change management methodologies and frameworks out there will address some or all of these imperatives. Within each imperative, there can be a change model or a framework that informs the intent and the process. They can take the form of three-step, four stages, eight steps, you name it. Think of models and frameworks like recipes – 
They're helpful to give you a sense of the process and timing and what ingredients you need. The qualities of the ingredients and the condition of the cooking environment does make a difference to the outcome. And we look at this a little bit more in depth in chapter five. So point of confusion number four is the scope of change. The scope of workplace change is an interesting consideration and one that you need to be aware of. Setting clear boundaries on what your change covers and what it doesn't is important to resourcing and your budgets. But here's the rub. Regardless of your scope definition, it's rare that your change occurs in isolation of others. And you need to be thinking about the interdependencies and the interfaces. This can be an iterative conversation in that as your change evolves and progresses, you may entertain scope creep. See, this is the other fun thing about change. Change changes. Six months into your change process, things will have changed. You'll have new leaders, key stakeholders, business focus, strategy and external market conditions. And these can all have impact on your change scope. So in considering these four aspects of confusion and unpacking some of these definitions, it might now be time to have a conversation with your peers or team that drives some clarity in these areas. So some of the conversation starters. Some of the conversations you might want to have right now with those around you are, to what extent is the change I wish to lead an organizational change and to what extent is it a change project? If it is a change project, how does it align with the broader organizational change? What are our preliminary assessment of who will fill what role? So who's missing for us? Do we have a change methodology that's in use in our business? And what do I think the scope of my change is? What does it include? What does it exclude? And what is it dependent on? To what extent can we expect the scope to change? So last chapter, Last chapter, I introduced you to the four adventures that you might be pursuing. Now we'll look at the implications for your choice in each adventure. So if you're in adventure one and you do not know what the change is to be, you have no internal change resources and you do have budget, you will most likely be engaging a change consultant to help you shape up what you want to do and how you will do it. And this chapter should have empowered you to ask your change consultant some defining questions about their approach. It will also assist you in evaluating their proposals and statements of work as to their fit for purpose with your engagement. If you're on Adventure 2, so you do know what the change is to be and you have no internal change resources, but you do have budget, in this instance, your immediate need is to recruit. Understanding what the common misunderstandings are will help you navigate engaging with a recruiting agency or directly with candidates. Adventure 3. You do know what the change is to be, you do have internal change resources, and you do have budget. So this chapter is great for you. You can really cut to the chase with your internal resources to understand how they operate and make sense of their world. The conversation starters at the end of that chapter will be particularly useful in framing up your initial conversations with them. The time you invest in this mutual sense-making will pay big dividends. Don't skip it. Adventure four, you may or may not know what the change is to be. You've got no internal change resources and you've got no budget. Okay, I'm still wincing for you. So this chapter has provided you with some guidance in understanding what phases of change are that you need to plan for with the blunt and crass outline of what methodologies do. 
Role clarity is probably a bit easier for you. For now, you are it. You are accountable and there's probably not much ambiguity about it. Although you are encouraged to be thinking about who you could co-opt from your peers to form a working party that fills these roles. To that extent, it doesn't matter how you define organizational change management. Though I am hoping that you've got some good insights into the things you want to be thinking about with your change. So in the next chapter, we're going to pick up on the issue of role clarity in your change efforts. This should help you to get clear on who will play which roles and as such, who will be accountable for what you need them to do. Um, Just a side note to this chapter, thoughts on associations and point one in this chapter has been influenced by conversations with and blog posts of friend and good colleague Gail Severini. I can't recommend her work enough and on the blog post that I add to this, I'll put in a link to her website where you can find a wealth of resources on this topic. I hope you've enjoyed chapter two of part one of Conversations of Change, a guide to implementing workplace change. Feel free to drop me a note on Twitter at Jen Fram, maybe on LinkedIn. Please feel free to connect with me or drop me an email at uh, jf at drjenfram.com and let me know what you think of the serialized podcast. I'll see you in chapter three. You've been listening to a conversation of change with Dr. Jen Fram. You can find many more resources on leading change at my website, drjenfram.com. I welcome feedback on what else you'd like to hear on the podcast. Why not connect with me on Twitter at Jen Fram or LinkedIn? LinkedIn.